Salesflare and this is Founder Coffee. Every few weeks I have coffee with a different founder. We discuss life, passions, learnings in an intimate talk getting to know the person behind the company. For this 44th episode I talked to Amir Salihifendich, founder and CEO of Doist, the company behind the leading to-do app to Doist and the asynchronous team communication platform Twist. Amir started working on Todoist in 2007 while he was a student. He got some immediate coverage and a good amount of users, but then worked on other things for a while. He was a CTO of a social media company called Work, and then tried building a project management system called Redoist. But then in 2011, he decided to focus back on Todoist, uh, which had hundreds of thousands of users by then. Uh, and he's been focused on growing it for the long term ever since. We talk about the advantages of building products for yourself, how synchronous team communication is stressing us all out, the difficulties of finding product market fit in a busy industry, and how to stay competitive in the long run. Welcome to Founder Coffee. Hi Amir, it's great to have you on Founder Coffee. Well, Jeroen, it's also some awesome to be here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, you're a co-founder of um, Doist, uh, which is a company that does both uh, Todoist now and, and Twist. Uh, f- for those who don't know Doist uh, and its products yet, uh, what do you guys exactly do? Yeah, um, so, you know, we have been in this for like over 10 years and we are basically the creators of today's, which is a task management app, one of the most popular ones in the world. Mm-hmm. And then we have also started doing like Twist, which is like asynchronous team communication app. Um, so we have basically tried to kind of like make a mindful team communication app. Yeah, so that's about it. And then we are also like remote first. So we have about 80 people spread in 30, over 30 countries. And we have been operating like this since the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so so you you I, I think uh, the company all started with uh, Todoist, hence also the name Doist, uh, I suppose. Um, can you perhaps tell us a bit more about how that exactly started? Like where where exactly did the spark uh, for Todoist happen, and how did you start it uh, concretely? Uh, sure. So uh, I, I started Todoist in my dorm room. Uh, while I was studying computer science in Denmark, in Aarhus, to be precise. Um, yeah, and basically, you know, like, I didn't have any ambitions of actually turning this into a company or a startup. I just wanted to create a tool for myself. So, you know, like, a lot of developers have this dream, uh, <laughs> or like maybe not dream, just they want to make a to-do list. It's just not many, you know, that kind of, like, uh, dedicate so much time as I did. And then I was like, I have been doing this for, like, 13 or 14 years now. Uh, yeah. So, you know, like uh, it's a personal project, a personal to-do list, and there's like probably millions of them uh, on GitHub that has basically turned into like a, a significant product and, and and also I have built a company around it, yeah. Yeah, what was exactly, what were you making a to-do list for at that point that you started uh, building one? What, what, what were you exactly looking to put in your to-do list? Yeah, I mean, something I really wanted is kind of like a tool like that I could organize my, my work and life. Uh, so I basically built this type of tool. And actually still today, like, you know, I have completed like over 50,000 tasks on Todoist. Yeah. And I basically use it to kind of like organize my, my work and life. Yeah. Uh, so it's been like a system for, for, for myself. And I know that like a ton of other people also use it as that. Uh, yeah. So yeah. basically at some point, like when you, when you get a very busy, um, like you can't really keep everything inside your head. Uh, and then I also don't really think you can kind of do, you know, great work if you do that. So that's why I kind of wanted to create like this system where I could basically put stuff in and then not forget them. Um, yeah. And also like if I have different projects or like different follow-ups and stuff like that, or like just emails and like anything I want, I add to this system. And it yeah. Kind of like, as it neatly. So, so, so you were a student when you when you started to do this. Do I have to imagine that you were putting your what you had to study and uh, maybe that you, you had to go some, get something at the shop uh, in uh, to do it or? Yeah, I mean, uh, honestly, like I was a student, but I also had like, like two part time jobs, and then I was also like starting another 
company as well. And then I also had some side project as well. So like, you know, I didn't really have a work-life balance. Yeah. I just have like, a, you know, a ton of stuff to do and a lot of stuff to keep track of. Uh, so that's basically why the, the need was was there. Yeah. Yeah. So you had a lot of things and you really needed a to-do list. Um, is there is there yeah. any um, methodology that you personally follow when going through to-dos? I mean, there is things like uh, getting things done, for instance, and methodologies or anything like that that you follow? Or? Yeah. I mean, honestly, like I have created my own uh, system that I, and I called it Systemist is basically very sim- similar to GTD. It's just a lot more simpler uh, and maybe also more modern. Like uh, GTD was made like without like smartphones in mind and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And on the Todoist uh, side, we actually have like productivity methods, uh, all the productivity methods listed and we have guides for them. And like Systemist is one of them. GTD is another, um, yeah. So, uh, you know, like if you're actually looking uh, for something and I think like this is actually much more critical than a to-do list. It's kind of like having a system. Um, so like I think, you know, having a personal system that can organize yourself is much more critical than actually like the tool that you use. Yeah. So you mentioned that you um, started to do it while you were a student and you had a bunch of side jobs and you were starting a company and... Um, how did Todoist then exactly grow if you were doing all these other things? Uh, how did you spread it? And where did these uh, first, I know, tens, hundreds, thousands of users come from? Yeah, I mean, uh, I had a very popular blog. Um, so I was actually like a, a, a big time blogger uh, at that point. Uh, yeah. So that's where like the majority of the early users came and then basically, I think also I submitted it to Dick. I'm not sure if you recall Dick, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. uh, uh, that uh, and that also like got traction there. And then I think also at some point like a life hacker covered it, and life hacker was a big, pretty big deal at, at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So that's basically how the initial. And then like after that, I kind of forgot it for like a few years, <laughs> where it basically like uh, you know. Uh, it basically ran by itself. And of course, I worked on it like during the weekends or nights. I basically added stuff. and uh, But it, it wasn't my full-time job. Uh, no, like yeah. you, you didn't forget about it really. You were just not really trying to grow it. Or... Exactly. And if you also like look on the Google Trends, uh, like, you know, it was basically dead for like, uh, since to, like uh, the, the big growth actually ret- uh, began when I returned to it in 2011 and I kind of like focused full time on it. Yeah. So, so again, when did you exactly start building Todoist? Uh, which year? In uh, 2007. Yeah. 2007. So you started in 2007, you got in Lifehacker also in 2007 or was that 2008 already? I don't actually recall. Um, no. It was in the beginning of when, when I launched it, then I got like some press and I submitted some stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, and then about four, uh, three, four years later, uh, you started working on it again. Why was that? Um, I mean, I was like doing a social network. Um, like I was the CTO of a social network that actually grew pretty big. Like uh, we had, and it's actually still running today. But um, mm-hmm. we we grew it like to millions of users, and in a like short time span, maybe in like a six months to a year. Um, and honestly, like after working on a social network for some years, like my heart was just not in it. Like I, I, you know, I didn't really feel very passionate about like optimizing for like wasting people's time. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, uh, yeah, (laughs) so I just wanted out of that and like focusing on actually like, you know, stuff that could actually add value to people's life and like help them, you know, create more time, uh, stress less. Um, and that's something, you know, that, um, like, honestly, like, I don't really feel very stressed in my work. Um, and I don't really feel like this. Um, I don't know, like when you wake up in the morning, you feel like, oh shit, like I need to work on this again. Like, you know, right now, like I wake every morning and I'm very excited to work on this because I feel like we are making a difference Mm -hmm. and, and working on something that's important. 
I, I didn't really feel this with the social network. I felt like, you know, holy shit, like, you know, servers are burning. We are optimizing the wrong things. We don't have a business model, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then we need to raise money. Uh, I mean, it was just like, uh, you know, it was a very, very bad uh, situation. Um, yeah. And I, I think maybe I was like, honestly, if I look back, I probably burned out in this social network role as well. Like I was very close to kind of like a huge burnout, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was the name of the social network? It's called Plurk. Plurk. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's still it's still actually running. It's actually still growing as well. Like, um, but it's growing in Asia Pacific, uh, and especially like in the art scene. Um, so, like the manga community in like Japan, Taiwan, and Korea, like a lot of them are actually using that. So, I mean, it's kind of like it's a wild story, but yeah. Uh, the, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, you were working on Plurk, and at some point you were like, okay, I cannot do this anymore, and then you saw. Doists still there and, and that it had grown or how did that that exactly why did you choose to go back on doist or to doist yeah i mean you know i had like a product i actually like before i did that before i went and worked full-time on todoist i actually tried to start something else called Vdoist, which is like base game like tool like project management tool mm-hmm uh, and uh, when that failed, so like uh, I did that for maybe six months and I got like zero traction. Then I was like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, you know, I have like this tool that has like, at, at that point it had like hundreds of thousands of users. Yeah. Uh, it oh. actually had a business model, like people were paying uh, per month. Like I think it was $3 per month. Um, and there was like a lot of like excitement as well. Like, you know, I would get like these like huge emails from some like fanatical like users that would basically tell me, you know, like what I needed to improve. What <laughs> and I was just like, you know, I don't have time to read like your PhD distortion uh, <laughs> about like uh, the, the what what we need to do. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And then you you said, okay, I'll uh, I'll I'll go for this. Uh, you you've now been building uh, uh, to do this for nine more years. Uh, but also last year or the year before, I don't exactly recall you launched Twist uh, in addition to to Todoist. Uh, how did that exactly happen? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, honestly, like you know, our tactics uh, is based like we we'll build stuff for ourselves, uh, mm-hmm. and also like you know, some of the you know uh, most active users on Todoist are actually like Todoist. Uh, employees <laughs> so uh, we, we care deeply about that and twist is kind of like a very similar story um, so we were using slack uh, and we were some of the early adopters of slack mm-hmm. and you know slack was amazing when it came out like it, like it's still like i think a very very great product uh, but the model like is just anti-human i think like uh, <laughs> like uh, I, I think it's a very destructive uh, for for people yeah, um, and the reason is it's kind of like this chit chat, uh, real time communication, being connected all the time. Um, like we felt this like really really hard because we were kind of like this remote first company, um, and I basically you know like given that we have like so many time zones, like I needed to be connected all the time uh, to, to 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 do my work, and it created a lot of stress for me and anxiety and like fear of missing out. Yeah. Um, so it was just like, you know, there must be like a better tool than Slack for this, you know, like uh, let's let's try to see like what others have done. And then we looked at the market, like everybody was just like copying Slack. So that there was like no innovation and nobody like really questioned this um, absurd model of, of communication. Yeah. Um, and we were just like, okay, you know, like we have, like we are very like strapped for resources Uh is it really that smart to actually start our own, you know, team communication tool? Uh, <laughs> uh, and then we were like, this isn't very smart. You know, like if you read like any kind of like strategy, you know, post, like nobody will recommend you to to start another like major tool if you actually have like really already saturated your current market uh, with your current tool that you're doing. Um, 
Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and but like the problem for us is kind of like we needed this kind of tool. Uh, like we needed the tool to create the culture that we actually wanted inside a company. Um, and that's why we, you know, um, basically went uh, and, and did this. But honestly, like I would not recommend this, like becoming like a multi-product company, like is a huge challenge, especially if you're not VC funded, you know, and you don't have a lot of resources to, to spare. Mm-hmm. Um, and so far, you know, like we have also invested a problem like millions uh, and, you know, we have worked on this like for four or five years now and we have still, you know, <laughs> it's not still a profitable product for us. So yeah. um, it has been like a huge investment. Yeah. From, from our side, but, you know, we feel very passionate about this and we feel like kind of like the whole market right now, like it's still kind of just copying Slack, like Microsoft teams um, and even like this real time communication is kind of like the, um, for, from our side, it's kind of like the, um, it's kind of anti-pattern. Like, I, I don't think you create great work. I don't really think you have happy people uh, because people can really disconnect probably. Um, yeah, so, so you know, we really want to challenge this, but it's kind of like an uphill, uphill battle. Like, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I actually had a, a guest uh, on the show uh, that you probably know, Jason Fried. Um, who gave uh, very similar um, comments as, as, as you are doing now about how the Slack by itself is a great product, but it sort of uh, pushes this new always on distracting um, um, kind of flow wherein you, you also can't have really deep discussions. Um, and it's funny that this, this comes from, from two companies that are um, fully remote first uh, by design. Do you think this, this is something that has to do with it or? Yeah, honestly, like, you know, we, we are huge fans of Basecamp and their work. Uh, and something that was just very puzzling is kind of like at some point, like, you know, we were already working a lot on Twist. Uh, and at some point, like they posted this, uh, <laughs> this post, which was basically kind of like the, the problem we were solving or just like, we were just like instead of like, oh wow, like this isn't only like our problem, but it's kind of like a deeper problem. Mm-hmm. And, and I think like you feel, you really feel this problem when you are remote first and you're like spread around time zones or you actually want to enable people to work whenever or wherever. Um, I think this is kind of like the, the uh, you will run into this problem if, if you're like baseline, it's real-time communication. Um, so that's why maybe like both Basecamp and this have this problem. And also like why, for instance, the automatic, you know, Buffer, a GitLab uh, are all also like asynchronous first, uh, like that you have like asynchronous communication as the baseline. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, but honestly, like, you know, uh, of course, like this up, uh, applies a lot to remote first, but I think actually for all companies, this would actually be a huge advantage because you can basically enable people like full freedom to plan their day as they like, and then also like manage their energy. Um, uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, our CTO, for instance, uh, is a night owl. So he works like a shift from like nine to 2 or 3 a.m. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he has done this since the beginning. And, you know, this kind of like, like remote first and asynchronous first uh, environment enables that. Um, yeah. Yeah. You you um, you mentioned that part of the team is, is working on uh, Twist right now. How many FTEs of the total do I have to imagine that? Yeah, I mean, honestly, initially, like we actually had like a small startup like team, like maybe five or six people that actually worked on this. And then later we have actually integrated this inside the, the whole organization. So we don't actually have a dedicated team working on Twist. Yeah. Uh, and we basically like allocate resources. Yeah. So actually like the whole way that we actually work is very different from any other company that I know of. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like we have our own system and also like our whole our own structure of how we actually do work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 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 you you guys are sixty people or in total? We are actually eighty right 80 now. Eighty people. 
And, and yeah. how, how many of those would you estimate work on twists right now? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. Um, I mean, it depends, like maybe 10 um, per cycle and our cycles are like one month long yeah. and we have like different projects for each cycle. Uh, so maybe 10. So most of our resources are actually still like put into to this because like to this is just much, much bigger than, than Twist right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I see that on the website as uh, 230 uh people collaborating on twist that's not not bad right um why is it so hard to to monetize exactly is it because it's it's free first and then the five euros a month if you want the history or i mean honestly i think like uh i mean something you will note and probably it's a recurring team is it's freaking like it's easy to to launch something right now but it's like very very hard to get traction Mm-hmm. and like build something that kind of has product market fit. Um, and I think like the bar is just like set very, very high, you know, like um, I doubt actually you could actually launch something like Todoist right now and actually get any traction. Um, yeah. Um, and maybe also a lot of other products. I mean, especially like team communication, you know, like if you want to get like a whole team to commit to, to Twist, it needs to be a huge commitment because you're basically, like, you know, changing all of the internal communication to be twist. Uh, so the mm-hmm. ask is pretty big. So that means like the quality and the future parity and the uh, robustness and uh, you know everything re- regarding like the the maturity and like uh, of the product like needs to be super high. Especially like you know we are competing against companies like Microsoft that has almost like unlimited resources and then Slack you know, which is like, I don't know, $20 billion company that has like thousands of people. <laughs> and then we have like a very small team, you know, working on this. Uh, yeah, but even with that, like, I think also something that's very challenging is kind of like also, uh, like we are very, very differentiated from, from, from like these real-time models. Like it's asynchronous first. And I don't think like most people in the world know what asynchronous first means or why it, it is important. So mm-hmm. like we also have like a huge barrier there as well. Like it's a very different product than than uh, the rest of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I definitely feel your pain on the um, the dealing with uh, huge giants and having to uh, to convince people to use you. Um, we uh, we are in the CRM space, um, and that's uh, it's uh, a similar issue, I suppose. Um. What did I want to ask next? Um, yeah, so and 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 switching to Twist, we we are on Slack ourselves. I can definitely see the benefits as well, uh, but uh, it it must not be an, an easy endeavor to to do that, right? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, even when we did this, did this in sudden, we like switched from Slack to to Twist. Like a lot of people were actually unhappy because Slack is a very addictive product. You know, mm-hmm. uh, like one of the reasons why they have been so successful is kind of like they have really optimized for uh, addictiveness and, you know, attention grabbing. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, so, you know, it's basically when, when you remove that from organization, it's basically like removing, you know, heroin from, from like a, an addict. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, there, there will be like, a, you know, a, a problems um, and withdrawal effects of that. Uh, but honestly, like, you know, after a while, like, uh, you know, it's a much more calm environment and much more sane environment. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but of course, like, it's a huge, huge ask and yeah, a huge commitment from a team where they actually do the switch. Yeah. You you also mentioned um, that you guys are uh, fully bootstrapped. Um, so working uh, with your own resources and not... Uh, raising any VC money. Um, what What's the reason behind that? Um, why are you choosing this path uh, versus the other one? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, with the social network, I was actually part of like a venture-backed company. Um, and I, don't, I didn't really like that environment at all. So that's one uh, reason. Another reason is like, this is kind of like my life's work 
uh, and like uh, you know, I'm I'm I don't really have an exit strategy. Um, um, and something I like to say is like my exit strategy is kind of my own debt. Like <laughs> that's the commitment that I'm putting into this. Yeah. Um, and, and like in the long term effects, like you know, um, I'm not actually against like for instance, like the base camp folks are really against VCs. I don't. I'm not really against them. Uh, I see that as a tool that you can use at some point, and you may be forced to use at some point. Uh, but as long as I'm not really forced to to use it, you know, I'm not going to to do that. And then I would just like optimize for like long term sustainability, uh, long term vision of the company, and like really building something for the long term. That's also like one of the like pillars is. Yeah. Um, is not really like going for like a an exit. Like for me, you know, it would actually be like a um, a nightmare, kind of like selling this and then seeing somebody like ruin it. Like you know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, <laughs> it's basically somebody like you know uh, uh, selling your child. You know, and just uh, yeah, like you know, that's kind of the uh, how I feel about this. Yeah, so you know. Rationally, like and economically, it's maybe not the best thing that I could do, but you know, uh, it has worked well so far, and I will just continue this journey. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I suppose you have uh, uh, good good revenues uh, coming from uh, from um, doing that that you can use uh, to do good things, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, honestly, like, we have never really been uh, like cash. Uh, uh, limited by cash uh and i don't think like we are even right now like limited by cash of course like with more money you could actually like hire more people but i think actually like if you do that if you solve problems by hiring more people then <laughs> you have more problems you know because more people usually equals more problems and also something that we have felt ourselves is like we had a huge like slump period uh, where we actually grew from maybe like 20 to 50 people and we actually got less productive yeah. because we just didn't have like the, the structures, the process in place to actually more make more people more productive. Um, uh, yeah, so I definitely like uh, on, on, um, understand like this, um, you know, notion that um, I, like, for me personally, like, I think it's more about like building strong teams smaller teams than like hiring a lot of people yeah mm-hmm. yeah i can i can definitely see that uh adding more people does not always uh increase productivity if you don't handle uh it well or if you do it too fast uh, um, you 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 mentioned um that your exit strategy is 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 death uh yeah. your death uh, so that means you have an, an extremely uh, long-term vision because you're not that old yet, right? Um, with uh, with with Doist, uh, could you share us a bit more of where you see um, first, um, the, let's say, um, task management, and then second collaboration, sort of uh, where you see that going? Um, where what is like the future you're you're aiming yourself at with your uh, with your roadmap, let's say. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, that's something I think that's spot on. It's like the 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 core vision isn't like really what we can do in like in a few years, but what can we actually achieve in decades? Uh, and what are actually the the hard problems that we are going to tackle? And honestly, like I think for us, uh, like the kind of what we want to do is kind of like we want to invent a better way to work. Um, and maybe also to live like as a side effect mm-hmm. uh, and then like to basically create like, you know, the processes and the tools that kind of enable this. Uh, and I think like organization, both like individual organization and like team organization are core part of this. And that's what, what we are going to tackle with today's and then like team communication uh, and especially like, you know, internal like team communication is a huge also problem that we also want to tackle um, as well. And then like maybe later on, like we'll actually add some other stuff to this. For instance, like uh, knowledge sharing could also be a very critical thing to solve. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, so so that's basically the, 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 the core vision is kind of like how do we actually invent a better way to work? Uh, and that's what we are aiming at. 
yeah. And that's why like it will probably take us maybe decades to actually achieve that. Um, yeah. yeah. Especially with the, the world always changing, um, new sort of technology, new sort of devices, uh, all these kind of things um, to which you need to adapt. Yeah, and also I think like the the way that we actually um, do work right now is highly inefficient. It's highly outdated, most of it. Like a lot of the stuff that we have is kind of like from the, you know, factory era. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I don't think really it applies to the work that we do now. And I also think like, you know, first we can use like technology to empower people. Um, And I think like this will be clear, like even... In, in the near future where you could actually use like for instance machine learning and AI to actually like empower people and you know help them out more than you could ever in in maybe the history of humankind uh, yeah so you know I think there's like a lot of like uh, a lot of opportunity here and I think also like really hard problems as well so you know that's yeah. that's why the, uh, like uh, we focus on the long term yeah yeah, another another hard problem there must probably be to uh, to stay around as a company, to always um, stay competitive, um, have the right modes in place versus uh, versus competition. Um, how how do you exactly think about these things? Yeah, I mean that's a great uh, point, and honestly, like I think it's really like about investing in your people uh, because. It's all about like the people that you have because they're kind of like uh, the uh, the creators of the stuff that is to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, so something that we do, for instance, like uh, we have something called personal dues, which is based like everybody inside a company can allocate a month to work on something uh, that will actually increase their growth, um, like personal growth. Um and a lot of like our core values is kind of like for instance like mastery is a core value and you know like a lot of like other companies they're kind of like uh, uh, have these core values some in some document but actually like our core values are kind of things that are really ingrained in how we uh, evaluate people how we structure things how we uh, you know pay people as well so mastery like becoming really good and constantly growing like that's a really core value that, that, that we invest into. Um, so, you know, like if you think about like we invest like 80 or something months per year into like personal growth. I don't think there's many companies that do this, especially on our scale. Um, um, and I think I can see us like invest even more into this. Uh, so that's that's kind of like the, 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 the like I think it's basically creating um, uh, organization that kind of like um, forces people to grow uh, and helps them to grow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, are you also doing this yourself, this personal growth month? Uh, yeah, I am. I, everybody needs to do it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, 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 um, what are you working on? If I, if I may ask, of course, uh, in terms of personal growth. Yeah, I have a I have a personal dude that's basically like creating a, a, a SDK, quick ad SDK for the web, uh, because like you know my passion other than like uh, product is development, and I really mm-hmm. love to develop. <laughs> so that's why I basically did, did that. You know, I'm not sure if it's the smartest one, but you know, uh, personal do should also be something that you find fun to do as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. So maybe like during this process, I can also like learn some new stuff in like web development that's happened like in the last few years. Uh, I mean, there's a ton of like changes there uh, that I have not really been like super aware of. And I'm just like interested to to learn more about. Yeah. Yeah. So for your personal growth, you're you're basically having fun being a developer again and, and sort of adapting to new things there and and, and sharpening your skills right uh, exactly yeah yeah what is it exactly that you um, that you do on a daily basis yeah i mean honestly like uh i have been you know like i started as a developer and like the development is my huge passion you know like i really love to do that uh, <laughs> and uh like it was also like a long i think like i stopped development a few months ago and i'm still actually doing some of it because I just like find that like 
this like uh, like um, very like not stressful. You know, like if I actually want to like de-stress, I <laughs> I I pull up the editor and just like do something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but right now, like um, what I actually spend a lot of my time on uh, is maybe just like. Uh, learning stuff and reading actually so uh, because like inside a company we have actually very little um, very few meetings as well like given this asynchronous first approach uh, mm-hmm. so this means I don't really have like a lot of meetings per week and I have just basically a lot of free time um, so of course like I help people out with like providing my feedback as well so like writing is, is a big um part of my work as well and then like also sometimes I've, i i do like these posts uh whereas like last week i basically did like a um a post that basically aligned uh, the company on the like product vision for the next year um because i'm also like a huge part of the product organization still and uh, soon i uh, we will hire like a head of product that yeah. kind of help with this uh, but i'm still kind of acting as a head of product as well um yeah, so that's basically like the product and, and some a bit, a bit of development and then like a lot of learning and like reading, yeah. Oh, what is exactly that you you read um, these days? I mean, honestly, there's something that's like booming right now. It's kind of newsletters and I'm not sure like if you follow some of them, but, you know, Ben Thompson like with Stratchery, I'm actually unsure mm-hmm. if I pronounce his name. Yeah. So that you know, I have been a huge uh, fan uh, sorry, strategy. I think it's called. Right. I, I'm also not sure yeah, whether I'm saying it correctly, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, why didn't he pick an easier name? You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, and spelling that is even worse. But uh, you know, like he started this like many years ago now, and honestly, there's a lot of those that are uh, popping up. Uh, like for instance, Benedict Evans. I'm unsure if you are aware of his, but he he has also like started a newsletter. He has actually had one for a while, but he's dying like a paid newsletter. Um, and there's a lot of like, great content there and very insightful stuff. Uh, yeah. yeah. So so just that's one thing. Another thing is kind of like podcasts such as these. Like I think those are like amazing, uh, you know, just like going into like head of people um, and learning stuff uh, from like some of the best people in the world. Like that, I find that also very, very insightful and something like I didn't have access to like when I started. Uh, so yeah, I'm pretty sure we will see like some amazing founders right now because there's so much like content and so much knowledge available. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It wasn't there before. Yeah. 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 Um, so that's it. And then maybe also books as well. Like uh, I enjoy reading as well. And then articles, just like uh, random articles that I find like via Twitter by following like smart people. Um, yeah. So th- that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. So you don't have uh, to, too much to worry, to worry about it seems. Uh, you know, there's always some worries and, <laughs> but you know, my, my days, especially like in, in a non coronavirus period are not really very stressful. And, you know, I think also like, you know, being busy and doing all of this busy work and stuff like that is just like an anti-pattern. Like, you know, it's much more critical to kind of like work on high impactful stuff uh, than just like try to fit in like all the hours of the day with something. Yeah. Yeah. If if, if anything would uh, keep you up at night uh, lately these days, what, what would that be? Yeah, I mean, honestly, like I think uh, the the coronavirus situation, especially the economy situation, I'm very worried about that. And I'm not really worried about like this per se, but just like, you know, society as a whole. uh, Mm -hmm. uh, Yeah, so I'm actually unsure where we are going, but like it does not really look very good. So that's something that I'm, I'm kind of very worried about. Yeah. Yeah. What are you especially worried about there? Um, I mean, honestly, like, uh, if you look at, uh, the history, you know, a lot of times, like if you have like economic, uh, problems, uh, it usually results in kind of like, uh, 
like leaders being elected they're kind of like very very bad so you know hitler was was a great example of this mm-hmm. uh, uh, so I'm, I'm kind of like worried you know what comes after for instance trump or like putin or whatever uh when you actually have like maybe millions of people starving like economies ruined you know like this won't be you know uh, I think the time where we're actually going to make very rational decisions. And you can see this like play out, uh, especially like in the US, but I think like this is coming everywhere. Uh, uh, yeah. So yeah. Th- that, that's something that, that, that worries me a lot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah what worries me too is that there's a, uh, there, there might not be something after Putin or after Trump. That's a, maybe a worry too. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, you also see like a lot of like leaders like basically becoming like dictators, like, you know, with China, like Russia uh, and Turkey as well. Uh, And, you know, maybe like more countries will actually uh, join this. And this usually isn't very good. You know, like it's it's very, very bad. Um, Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. If if, uh, power is concentrated and... uh people uh, don't need to please a lot of people to stay in power then uh, the situation doesn't become better for the rest of us uh, um on that note you're you're currently uh in uh, chile you said um you studied in denmark uh, why is that you made the move from from denmark to chile yeah i mean something to know as well like i have actually lived in many different parts of the world i live like in 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 Taiwan, in Spain, in Portugal, and Chile is basically like uh, like my wife is from Chile, so uh, you know we have an apartment here, and we basically switch between like Barcelona and Chile, uh, oh, yeah. or Santiago, Chile. Yeah. Uh, so usually my base is actually in Barcelona, but uh, yeah, uh, sometimes we are in Chile. And right now we are actually stuck in Chile, <laughs> and we have been stuck here for some time now. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, you mentioned uh, before before we started this that uh, Chile is in uh, in total lockdown right now. You you cannot travel either to Spain or. Yeah, I mean um, the thing is uh, we could, uh, but the, like there's some uh, like my, my my wife wants to help her mom move to an apartment, so we are actually doing that and waiting for like uh, <laughs> that to kind of settle. And it was very hard to actually do that with like a total lockdown. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but right now, like things are actually opening a bit up. So it's looking better. At least you can kind of go outside and, and like walk outside or run outside. Yeah, which that's good. Is much better than, than the, the past, yeah. In, 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 a, in a remote first company, how, how is it to um, switch the place where you work? Like instead of Spain, work in Chile for, uh, for a few months. What, what sort of effect does that have? Uh, that's a great question and I was like it's very very easy to do that um, but like something to know is like I've actually found out I'm kind of like a, a creature of a habit so I, I like to you know get my routines uh, and get like this uh, routine going daily routine going so basically when, when I relocate I need to kind of like recreate the, the routine mm-hmm. um, but usually it's not really that hard for me so you know, even in a remote first setting, like I've almost always worked from like external office or like co-working space. It, it just like, it makes it much easier for me to kind of separate like home and, and work. Um, so that's basically what I do is like, when I go to a new location, I basically look for like a co-working space where I can basically work from. Yeah. Yeah. Are you working from a co-working space now? Like, or? Uh, no, I mean, we have basically been stuck uh, like inside <laughs> so that's why I also like I don't really feel super you know uh, productive in this kind of environment also like mentally it's also very hard for me because um, I, I prefer to kind of like separate have a like clear separation between like work and home uh, yeah got it cool now uh, we um, should slowly go into uh, learnings uh, what is the latest good book you've read and and why did you choose to read it oh that's a great question um yeah um let me actually just bring this um so actually right now i'm i'm reading a book um 
by uh, Matt Ridley, I think. Um, and it's called How Innovation Works, mm-hmm. um, which I find very interesting. It's basically like stories of how um, you know innovation works and he touches like many different, it's not really tech related, but you know, most of, uh, for instance, like the Bright Brothers um, and how um, a lot of times you actually have like, uh, like um, many different creators uh, of the same thing. And, you know, a lot of times like what we basically, uh, like we give credit to only one person, but behind them, you know, there's many core inventors uh, that that have basically helped to create a thing, um, and the same thing with actually happens is kind of like with, with flight or like with penciling or like the light bulb. It's just not like the creation of one person, but kind of a collection of, of people that kind of like have inspired each other. And even maybe if you remove one of these per- persons, then another one will actually step in to this. Um, yeah. Yeah, so so I mean it's a very interesting thing, especially like in for a technology person. I think it's very critical to actually uh, read something like that. Yeah, and I find that, that very interesting. I'm, I have still not read everything. Uh, I think maybe I'm twenty or thirty percent in, but it's it's very good so far. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm checking it out on uh, Goodreads. It looks like a, an interesting book. I put it on my uh, want to read list. Uh, so awesome. sort of, yeah, it gives you the. It seems. Yeah, explains that innovation is not a simple um, point from from point A to point B process, but it uh, it takes a lot of uh, funny turns. Yeah, right. Uh, exactly, and I think he kind of questions, you know, the the narrative that we are doing as a society, and he also like uh, explains why you actually have to have like freedom and like uh, you know prosperity to actually foster innovation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 very I mean it's very hard to also um explain innovation in the right way like in the beginning of 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 this talk we we discussed how you started doist and it seemed like a very simple uh you wanted something you built it kind of process but that's that's probably not exactly how it happened but if you would try to discuss that in all the little detail then uh, uh then uh People would probably get bored. We would have an enormously long podcast, and <laughs> so yeah, that's it's it's kind of normal that we we start simplifying things, I guess. Yeah, I mean, something to know is like you know we are storytellers, and like we all like to like you know uh, compress everything into these like stories, and like a lot of the stories are kind of following the same you know uh, like style. Uh, and I love this, like, you know, there's a story and then there's the truth. And a lot of times you don't really see the truth and all the complexity that, that is hidden behind everything. Yeah. yeah. Are there, are there any things, um, like f- very significant things that you learned along the way, um, with Doist? or I could phrase it differently. Is there, is there anything you wish you would have known when you started out with Doist? I mean, honestly, I think like something. And that's something I can really recommend to all the other founders is basically like invest in your own like learning uh, and maybe also like be part of like a community or like connect to people that are maybe a bit longer than you on the journey. Um, so for me, for instance, like uh, what was a huge, uh, you know, just like, uh, I don't know, like eye-opening thing is kind of like joining Hacker News. Uh, mm-hmm. And if you look on Hacker News, I was actually one of the first uh, users there um, and I kind of like found you know a home uh, and especially Hacker News in the beginning it was actually really really great like right now it's kind of a bit toxic maybe uh, uh, because of all the people that have joined since then mm-hmm. but initially it was like really quality stuff and you could learn a ton there um, so I've always like tried to actually find like uh, ways that can just like accelerate my learning uh, and especially like from from others and like being inspired as well uh you know knowing what's possible and what isn't um so so right now for instance you know it's kind of amazing like podcasts such as your, yours and many others you know are just like uh, amazing because you can basically get uh, many insights and also just like peek into the the heads of other people <laughs> and get like some super insights and being 
uh, be inspired by that. Um, and the same thing is kind of like these newsletters that are popping up as well, where, right. you know, some super smart people are investing a lot of time of just like sharing, you know, uh, their secrets and, and, and their knowledge. Um, yeah. So, you know, that's for me, at least like that has been a super weapon and uh, uh, something I, I wish I actually started earlier as well, but like, uh, I was probably t- trending something when I actually found out that you could actually learn a lot from others. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if, if, if you, you, you know, you mentioned that you're, you're listening to podcasts, you're following these newsletters, reading books, but if you would have to look for a community uh, right now, where, where would you go? Like a community of peers to learn from? Honestly, like uh, Twitter is amazing. I think it's probably the best like tech community right now there is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, at least for me, like I get a lot of like value from that and maybe that's where you could actually start. Yeah. Cool. Final question. Uh, if, if we would have to uh, leave the, the listeners with a piece of advice, um, anything you want to share with uh, fellow SaaS and startup founders, uh, what would you what would you share with them? Yeah, I mean, um, I think like something in our community that is kind of like uh, bad is like this very um, like hard focus on like the or big focus on like the short term uh, aspects. So basically, like raising money, you know, uh, building something and selling it. Uh, and I think there's like way too little focus on actually like trying to build something over the long term and kind of like saying, okay, like what would happen if I invest like, you know, 10 or 20 years into this or maybe 30 years, uh, you know, how would my thinking change based on that? And maybe like thinking, you know, in terms of like decades instead of like, you know, years or even months. Um, Because I think it kind of like changes a lot, like the ambition that you can actually go after you know, how you structure your companies, uh, you know, how you run them, how you build them. Um, yeah, and honestly, I think like there's, there's way too little uh, focus on this. And I think like, you know, some of the biggest companies have actually built with this mindset in mind. And if you look at like some of the, you know, most critical companies that have had maybe most of the contribution, they are basically founder-led for like decades, uh, a lot of them. Um, yeah, so so th- th- that's something that I think is very critical for for, for founders, uh, and I would actually love to see this. And also, like I would love to see like European scene stepping up. You know, you don't need to be in Silicon Valley to create amazing things, and you can also like dream big. You know, while living in Europe. Um, so I would love you know that we put like Europe on the map and build some amazing companies there. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you, Amir, uh, again for uh, being on Founder Coffee. It was Great to have you. Well, thank you a lot for having me here. It was uh, some great question and a great conversation. And I hope you know people will, will get something out of this. That's it for this episode of Founder Coffee. We hope you liked it. Let the world know if you did. Thanks for listening, guys.